0: We had a glorious time uh, last night, our married couple's sweethearts dinner, and uh, I think we had about 24 couples, and uh, just a good time, and just want to thank publicly those who made it all possible, who worked hard behind the scenes. So uh, we're thankful for what you did, and we did indeed have a great time. I think our youngest married couple was under a year. They somehow knew each other the best and won an award for that. And then we had a couple, what are you guys at? 54 going on, 55. So we had quite a range, and it was just a wonderful time. Psalm 119, beginning at verse 145, the psalmist writes I cried with all my heart, Answer me, O Lord, I will observe thy statutes. I cry to thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I rise before before dawn and cry for help. I wait for thy words. My eyes anticipate the night watches, that I may meditate on thy word. Hear my voice according to thy loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord. According to thine ordinances, those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Of old I have known from thy testimonies that thou hast founded them forever. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege we have to worship you. Thank you that we can sing songs to you, that we can pray and cry out to you, that we can greet one another and fellowship with one another and give to your causes. Thank you that you have so designated that a part of worship is the preaching and teaching of your word. And so we would ask at this time that you might give all of us ears to hear and hearts to heed what Thus saith the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Today I want to consider Psalm 119, verses 145 through 152 from the subject, crying prayer in crisis circumstances. Crying prayer in Christ in crisis circumstances, and I feel like I need to pause for a second and just explain that title, that subject to you. By crying prayer, I'm not talking about prayer that you make with tears coming down your face. Crying prayer means that you are crying out to God, means that you are calling upon him. When it comes to the idea of these crisis circumstances, it lets us know that the prayer that we are talking about, crying prayer, is not the general idea of prayer that we find in Scripture. When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, that's general prayer. But crying prayer is a subset of that. Crying prayer takes place when our circumstances are chaotic, when our circumstances are at a point of crisis. As we live life, we will face challenges. We will face hardships. We will face difficulties. And the question is, what do we do in times like that? And I believe our passage is saying that we have to be driven to crying prayer, to calling out to God in light of what is taking place around us. And the fact that we're talking about crisis circumstances is just a reminder to each of us as children of God that we do face hardships and difficulties, that we do face challenges that, as Paul said to the Philippians, we're called to suffer, that there will be times where life will not be easy. It will not be smooth, but it will be difficult. Our world, at times, might turn upside down. And you should expect that in your walk with God. It doesn't mean that you have sinned. It doesn't mean that you have done anything that. Uh, Wrong at all. It simply might mean that you're living a godly life. As Paul told his spiritual son Timothy, all who live godly will suffer persecution. That's 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. And I know that might be foreign to our thinking. That we will face hardships and difficulties in our walk with God. We've been fed lies that God wants you healthy that God wants you to prosper and have you wealthy. But that's not a biblical picture of the Christian life. Both Old Testament and New Testament point out to the child of God that there will be difficulties and hardships. And so we need to know what to do in times like that. Not every day, not every week, not every month, not every year is going to be a time of crisis. But rest assured, they will come. Christ's circumstances will find their way to you. And right now, you might be living your life as if you're walking in heaven. Things are just going good for you. You just are rejoicing at the blessings that are yours. And I just want to say to you, don't ignore this sermon Don't throw it out. File it away, but not in the trash can. File it away in your heart because your time will come. Where you won't feel like you're walking in heaven. And you're going to feel the need to to cry out to God. You're going to feel the need to call upon God in light of your circumstances. Some of you, if you're honest with yourself, you feel like you're walking through hell. That life is just real hard for you right now. You don't know how you're going to make it next week. And it could be that you made a bad decision that has some major consequences. Could be that you're in a bad relationship or a bad marriage could be due to several different reasons. And you're trying to honor the Lord. You're trying to please the Lord. And so you want to hear what the psalmist has to say. Because his life was not easy. His life was challenging. And he shares that with us. But he shares it with us so that we might learn from him. That when we face These unsettling times when our world is upside down, when the tears are streaming because of what we are experiencing, that we might come to our God and cry out to Him and pray to Him and ask Him to help us. So, so this is a marvelous portion of scripture, these eight verses. It's real. It doesn't present fantasy to us as the children of God. The the idea of a fantasy world is life is always smooth. There's no problems. And, And you would think if anybody was going to have a nice, easy, comfortable walk with God, it would be the psalmist. Because here was a man who loved God, who loved the word of God and loved the ways of God to the extent that he becomes a model for each of us. But the good news is that he's a realistic model. Uh, he doesn't present this idealistic version of walking with God. He lets us know that you can be totally surrendered. You can sing that song and it can come from the depths of your soul that you've given yourself away to a way to God, a, a way to God a, and still life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. And so I want us to take time and look at these verses. I want us to look at them so that God might teach us that when our circumstances are catastrophic, that we will come to God and cry out to God in prayer. Please note that in the first four verses, that in times of crisis circumstances, cry out to God in genuine prayer. Cry out to God in genuine prayer. And I emphasize genuine because there is something about prayer that can be phony, that can be Lack authenticity that is not real and not what God would want it to be. The psalmist is talking about prayer that is real and genuine as God sees it. You know, we can put on some airs when we pray, we can use the flowery language, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We can go all around the world when we're praying, and God knows sometimes that's just a sham, but here. Uh, If we're going to be involved in this thing called crying prayer, our, our prayer must be genuine. They must be authentic. They must be real. And the psalmist gives us some insight into genuine prayer. When he says in verses 145 to 146, that genuine prayer demands that we pray earnestly. That we pray earnestly. And let me just kind of break this down in verses 145 and verses 146. This means that we pray wholeheartedly. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 145. He says, I cried. He's talking about what he's done in the past, what he's doing currently. And he says, God, I cried with all my heart. We had a whole sermon looking at that phrase with all my heart in Psalm 119. Uh, It meant that the psalmist didn't hold anything back. He gave God 110%. He wasn't just going through the motions when he prayed. It it wasn't a ritual with him. It wasn't a routine. It wasn't just reading words off a list and praying them and mouthing them. No, he says, I I cried out to God with, with all of my heart, with all of my being, with my whole being. Crying prayer demands that if it's going to be genuine it has to be prayer with all of one's heart and when you're in these difficult times in these challenging times we have to understand that we need to be involved in wholehearted prayer with all my heart he prayed believingly some of us really don't believe in prayer and that's why we don't pray that much. That we've heard sermons on prayer. We've been challenged to pray. But if you ask ourselves, why don't I pray? Sometimes, if we're honest, we might say, I don't believe that God answers my prayer. In the psalmist, when he cries out to God and says, oh, Lord, answer me believes that God hears our prayers and believes that God answers them. He, he wouldn't be saying, God, answer me. And he, he he's really forceful when he says that. It's almost as if he's commanding God, but he knows that he can't do that. But he wants God to act. He believes that God hears and that God has the ability to answer his prayers. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe that prayer really works? Do you believe that God hears and answers prayer? And we ought to be able to look at our lives and and share with others. This is why I believe that God answers prayer. Here's my prayer notebook. Look at these different answers to prayer. God didn't always answer it the way that I wanted him to answer, but he answered And thank God sometimes what I asked for, he didn't give me. Some of you ought to be glad that God didn't give you that knucklehead for a husband or for a wife. There are times that God knows, he always knows best. But we think we know best. But God answers in his way, in his timing. And when we cry out to God, crying prayer, the psalmist believes that God hears his prayer, and that God answers, and he pleads with God. God, answer me. Answer me. And he prays while pledging allegiance to God. This is not a pledge allegiance to the flag. He's pledging allegiance to God. You say, where does that come from? Look at the last part of verse 145. When he asks God to answer him, he goes on to say, I will observe thy statutes. He's not bargaining with God. He's not saying, God, you answer me and I'll obey you. No, he's letting God know that regardless of the answer, regardless of how things play out, he has resolved to do something. And what has he resolved to do? He has resolved to obey God's statutes. Observe means more than just look at. He's committed to obeying the statutes of God. And when we cry out to God in prayer, we need to check our hearts and make sure that as we're praying, we're praying from a heart that pledges allegiance to him. That pledges obedience to him. You know, there are people who want God to answer their prayer, but they don't want to live for God. And the psalmist is saying, that's not how it works. The child of God who cries out to God at the same time is pledging obedience to God. He says, God, I will. I resolve. This is my New Year's resolution. Resolution: I will obey your word. And then when you go to verse 146, he prays specifically. He's pointed in his prayers. In verse 145 is general. Answer me. But he didn't tell us what he's praying for. <laughs> but when he comes to verse 146, he lets us know what he's praying for. He's not saying, God, bless me. What does that look like? Now, sometimes we pray so general, we can't tell if God did answer our prayers. But this man would be able to tell if God answered his prayer or not. This man cries out to God and says, what? Save me. Deliver me. He's in a situation, a crisis circumstance. And he wants deliverance. And he pleads to his God and says, God, this is what I'm asking for. I'm asking that you will save me and deliver me. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about physical deliverance. He's talking about being released from the hardships and difficulties that his enemies have placed upon him. God, save me. And then he says once again, God I'm committed to doing your will. I pledge my allegiance to you. Same thing he said at the end of verse 145. He says in verse 146, and he says, and I shall keep thy testimonies. As I said earlier, it's hypocritical to ask God to work on our behalf and we're not willing to live for him. The psalmist says, God, I will, I shall, I resolve to keep your word. So when we pray earnestly, we pray in a way that is genuine prayer. But notice in verses 147 to 148, to pray genuinely, genuine prayer means that you pray faithfully. And again, this is a special Type of prayer. Uh, Don't go crazy and try to apply this to every aspect of prayer in your life. This is crying prayer. This is prayer when you're in the situation of turmoil, your world is upside down, people are against you, etc. And the psalmist prays faithfully. And, And what we mean by that, he prayed consistently. He, 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 he made a commitment to meet God before sunrise, to cry for help. That's what he says in verse 147. He says, I rise before dawn. That is before the sun comes up. God, I get out of my bed and I have a time of meeting with you and I meet you for what reason? I want you to help me. I rise before dawn. I realize I'm dependent upon you, that I need your help. I need your enablement. I need your grace. And this is such a serious matter to me, God, that I don't just have my normal sleep. This is unusual prayer. This is prayer that is driven by one's circumstances so that a person says, this is urgent, this is important, I got to get up. Can't just sleep. In light of my circumstances. So he determines to meet God before the sun rises to cry for help. He says, I rise before dawn. In crying prayer, that's what's going to be the thing that, one of the things that will mark your prayer. You'll rise before dawn. And do what? Twiddle my thumbs? No. And cry for help. Help. Lord, help me. My situation is beyond my control. I can't do anything about it. It could be a medical situation could be a family situation could be a marital situation could be a number of things but god i recognize it's beyond me and so god i'm going to meet you before the sun comes up it's just that important to me god it's that urgent that i'm going to meet you can't wait to wednesday night prayer meeting can't wait to the quarterly prayer meeting no, God, this is urgent. I'm going to meet you before the sun rises. And not only that, he says, basically, that he's going to meet God after sundown to meditate. Not only when, before the sun comes up to pray, cry out for help, but he says, when the sun goes down, I'm going to meet you by meditating on your word. He understands that prayer and meditation go hand in hand. You want to be a good prayer? You want to be one who cries out to God in prayer? Meditate on his word. Chew on his word. Make sure that his word is not just in your head, but it goes down into your heart. Store it up in your heart like the psalmist did so that he wouldn't sin against God have the same attitude he had where he says, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day long. Here, the Psalms is saying when the night watches come, my eyes anticipate that. Not so that I can go to sleep. Not so I can hit snooze on my uh, iPhone. No. My eyes anticipate the night watch. It's because I want to meditate on your word. I need more of your word in these circumstances than in these situations. So he's committed to meditating, turning over the word of God, chewing on it, ruminating on it. Now, we talked about meditation here as a church. It's so vital in our Christian life that we not only Hear the word and read the word and study the word and memorize it, but that we meditate on it so that it's a part of us. It's in our blood, our biblical blood, so to speak. So the psalmist prayed earnestly, he prayed faithfully. Our circumstances sometimes can be catastrophic. Sometimes we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, even as Christians. And it could be that God is saying to you, to me, in times like that, cry out to him. Call upon him in genuine prayer. Pray earnestly and, and pray faithfully. That's the model that the psalmist gives us. And what we'll see in the rest of the psalm is not that everything was resolved. It's not that his circumstances all of a sudden became wonderful. It's not, well, oh, I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now he's going to talk about walking with God on the mountaintop. No, that's not the picture that he paints. Sorry. I know that's not what we want. We want to say that if I cry out in genuine prayer, that if I pray earnestly, if I pray faithfully, then the situation will turn out exactly the way I want it. It's going to turn out the way God wants it. And God will work it out for your good and for his glory. In times of crisis circumstances, cry out to God in knowledge of him. In knowledge of him. Our prayer life needs to be informed by what we know of God. God. And if you know little about God, you won't be able to cry out to him in prayer like the psalmist did. The psalmist knew something about his God. He had walked with his God. He had learned from God's word certain things about his God. And as he prayed, he prayed from a knowledge of God. Now, whether you realize it or not, You and I, we pray according to our knowledge of God. You you might not think that way, but in reality, it shows up in our prayer lives. And so some of us think that God is our sugar daddy. Our sugar daddy. He's just here in, in my life to give me what I want, to take care of me. Some of us pray to God as if he's our bellhop, that he's supposed to jump at each request that we make and give me what I want. The world views God that way. Something tragic happens in the world, like that football player who who got seriously hurt in the football game, and the world, quote, turned to prayer. But all they were interested in was one thing, they weren't interested in God's will being done. They were interested in what they wanted. And their thinking is, in times of crisis, whatever, let me pray. God will do whatever I ask him to do. And so some people see God as their bellhop. Some people see God as their slot machine. Insert a prayer, out comes the answer. Some people view God as the man of stairs probably one of the worst descriptions you can ever have about God is that he is a man and that he's upstairs. So so if you view God as the man upstairs, uh, he can't help you. He can't help you. If if the man downstairs making the prayer requests can't do anything, the man upstairs can't help you either. But God can help you. And so we got to have a right view of God. And the psalmist knows his God. And so when he prays, when he cries out to God, he cries out to God in light of what he knows about God. And may I just suggest to you that when you pray, make sure you know God's character. That's what verse 149 is all about. Make sure you know God's character, his attributes. The psalmist mentioned God's loving kindness, and the psalmist mentions also God's righteousness. And, and that shaped how he prayed. So in this verse, he says, God, hear my voice according to thy loving kindness. And he says, God, revive me according to thine ordinances. He uses that phrase, according to. And I know it might, might sound like a very simplistic uh, phrase, That it's not important, but it's used over and over and over again in Psalm 119. Fourteen times the psalmist will make a request and says, God, do it according to thy word. Or he'll pray, God, do this according to thy loving kindness. Or he'll say, God, do this according to thine ordinances. He has a proper understanding of God. He has learned about God through the word, and he says, God, I just want you to act. I just want you to do how you have revealed yourself in your word that you will do in who you are. And so I'm crying out to you, God, hear my voice. In other words, God, answer me and and do that according to your loving kindness. The psalmist says, God, I've come to your word. And I know that your love is kind and that your kindness is loving. And I'm just asking that you will act upon my prayer request on the basis of who you are. See, he's not shy about coming to God. He's not saying, well, I wonder if I can. No, he's bold. He's saying, God, hear me. Because I know you're the God who hears and answers prayer. I know that you are a God who is characterized by loving kindness. And then he says, God, revive me. Evidently, his situation had drained him spiritually and even possibly physically. He wasn't living life on top of the mountain. He's drained. He's worn out. He's exhausted. And so what does he say? God, revive me. Revive me and do it according to your judgments, your ordinances, your word. My friends, if we're going to have a God-honoring prayer life, if we're going to cry out to God in prayer, then we must know his character. We need to be praying and holding God accountable for his character, holding God accountable for what he has said in his word he would do. Nothing wrong with that. He ain't said you're going to be wealthy and healthy. So you can't hold him accountable for that. But he has said that he will watch over you, that he will take care of you, uh, that he is your shepherd. And you can hold God accountable for that. You can have boldness and cry out to God in prayer. So don't just simply know God's character, but also when you pray, make sure you know God's companionship. God's companionship. Be be assured of the fact that God is your companion. You might feel abandoned by a friend. The friend wasn't what he or she should be. But God will never abandon you. God is your companion. When all else fails, God is your companion. And he's your most important companion. He's more important than the companionship of your wife or your husband or any other kind of earthly relationship. The psalmist knew knew that. And so when he talks about God's companionship, he speaks of it in the context of pointing out what's going on in his life. Now, I know you might think the psalmist doesn't really have it that bad. My circumstances are worse than his. But look at what he says in verse 150. He said, those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from my law. He's talking about his enemies. Real live enemies. Flesh and blood enemies that he can point to. That he can look at. And he says that these enemies are those who follow after wickedness. They're wicked. They're evil. And literally, they have come up with evil and wicked plans to persecute the psalmist. And the psalmist said, they're not in Alabama. They're not in Pennsylvania. The psalmist said, they're right on my street. In my neighborhood. He he said they have drawn near. He's not talking about, well, this might happen in 10 years, five years. No, he's saying right now as he's living his life, these enemies of his soul, these enemies of his, they've drawn near. They've gotten closer and closer. They're within arm's reach, so to speak. That's not a pretty picture. But the good thing is the psalmist doesn't just throw up his hands and say it's useless, it's worthless. Try to honor God or try to please God and look at where I'm at. No, the psalmist says in verse 151 that even though these individuals draw near. And the other thing he says about that, they're near to him, but they're far from God's law. So they're wicked, they're evil. But but the wonderful thing that he says in verse 151 is that even though they draw near, God is nearer. That's good news. When your enemies are stalking you and plotting against you and trying to make life miserable for you, it's good to be able to assert, not to pray. He's not praying, God, come near. to He's saying, God, thou art near. God, you are present. Yeah, they're drawing near, but you are with me. We're companions together. And that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind. The nearness of God. Some of us have a view of God that he's way out there, that that he's in heaven. And in order for him to get to me, it's going to take a long time. No, the psalmist says God is near. He talks about the proximity and the presence of God. And, And if you haven't grown enough in your relationship, if you haven't come to grips with this conviction that God is near, then you're going to miss out. You're going to suffer and struggle in your walk with God. Your parents might not be near. Your siblings might not be near. Your friends might not be near. But God is near. That's what the psalmist declares. He's not saying, God, come near. God, they're coming. You come. No, God, you're with me. He understands the nearness of God and what a blessing that is. And you get a chance. I want to encourage you to read Psalm 73, where the psalmist, Asap, talks about how he basically lost his spiritual bearings. He got to the point where he was envious of the wicked. He saw how the wicked had all the things that he in some way wished he had, that they were prospering. They were, no, no, they were eating steak dinners. So they, they walked around with pot bellies. You no, know, that's how life was so good for them. And, and the Asaph said, no, I almost stumbled. I almost came to the point where I was envious of them. But then God opened his eyes. God gave him some insight into how great it is to have God present in your life. And I want to just read these verses because they're worth reading, but you take a look at them on your own in Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28. Asaph says, whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from thee will perish Thou hast destroyed all those who are unfaithful to thee. But as for me, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And sometimes God has to take us through some things where we recognize and realize that his nearest is our good. That there's nothing else better than the nearness of God. He says, I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all thy works. The nearness of God. If you can't relate, you better learn how to relate as a child of God. It's your good. It's the one thing that you can always, always count on. You might think your mate, you can always count on. You might think it's a friend or whatever, but you can always count on the nearness of God. Of God, and this is not just an Old Testament teaching. This is New Testament. Hebrews thirteen five, the writer of Hebrews says that God says, "I will never desert you, nor will leave you." Isn't that good to know that as I'm navigating life, God says, "I'll never leave you, nor desert you." God being near is your good, and for the Christian, we can all say. That we have the nearness of God. There is no other relationship quite like the Christian relationship with God. When we went through 1 John, 1 John 4.13 spoke of the fact that God is in us and we are in God. As a child of God, God is in you and you are in God. It doesn't get any more intimate and close as that. When you have eternal life, you have an intimate, personal relationship with God. He's in you and you are in Him. I don't know how you can describe anything more closer than that, or closer than that. My wife gets that. So the psalmist asserts not only is God's near, near, but he also says God's commandments are all truth. Why does he say that? Because his resources in dealing with his circumstances is that he has God and he has the word of God. In times where your life is upside down, what you can cling to, what you can hold on to, is God the nearness of God. He can hold on to his word. And that's why the psalmist ends by saying that not only should we know God's character and know God's companionship, but we should also know God's certain word. God's certain word. If you're going to be able to cry out to God when your world is upside down, what's going to help you? You got to know His Word. You got to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. You got to come to the conviction that God's Word is true; all of His commandments are true. But you also have to come to the conviction that God's Word is certain. It's not flaky. It's not unstable. It's not unreliable. This book is certain. And that's what the psalmist said in verse 89. He says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. It's established in heaven. This is a sure word. This is a certain word. You can bank your life on the word of God. And the psalmist is not trusting in anyone except God and his word. And he has come to the point in his life where he can say dogmatically that the word of God is certain. He starts verse 152 off by saying, of old, he ends it with forever. Of old, he came to a settled conviction about the word of God. He came to believe that God's word through his testimony, settled, founded forever. I know people might think we're crazy gathering together to worship and preaching from a book that is ancient, a book that hasn't been updated or changed by God, a book that's reliable, it's living, it's active, it's cutting, all of that. But the Bible is our resource in times of trouble, In times where we're finding it difficult to make it, the Bible and its promises and its assurances, we have to come to it and read it and learn about our God. And that's what the psalmist did. He says, of old, there was a point in my time, in my life, the psalmist says, where I read God's word and I came to the belief, I came to the conviction that God's word is settled, founded forever. That God's word doesn't change it was good in his day. It was good in the days of Abraham. It's good today. It will be good forever and ever and ever. God's word is settled, and we can count on it. And so, my friends, when catastrophic times come, I'd love to be able to say as your pastor, they won't come. I'd be lying to you your face. Catastrophic times are going to come. And some of you are in the catastrophic times right now. You're wondering. You're questioning. You're hurting. You're experiencing pain. And and I just want to encourage you to do what the psalmist did. In, In light of his catastrophic circumstances, turn to God in His Word. I know that's simplistic. I know that we live in a, a world now that people don't believe that—hogwash. I'm going to stand on the Word, and if there's a problem with the Word, there isn't. The problem's with me. If I don't believe that the Word is sufficient, is enough—that's my problem, not the Word's problem. God is enough. It says so the psalmist cries out to God in genuine prayer. He makes sure that his prayer is earnest and that his prayer is faithful. The psalmist cries out to God in knowledge of God. He knows his God. He knows God's character, his companionship, and he knows God's certain word. And no matter what you go through, I'm not saying don't get help from a fellow Christian or whatever, But the ultimate help is God in his certain word. Crying prayer. Might not need it right now. Some of you do. And others of you are saying, ah, I'll check back on the website when I need it. Well, better store it up in your heart now. Cry out to God now. Now. And I'm not saying that all of our prayers are to be marked by what the psalmist is talking about, but I am saying that the situations of life will challenge us and cause us to cry out to God in crying prayer in the midst of these crisis circumstances. So for those of you who are right there where the psalmist is, don't give up. Live in this text. Go back to this text and do what the psalmist did. Cry out to God. Know your God. To those who might be walking in heaven, so to speak, I trust that when you're walking through hell, that you'll realize that you can come to this text and learn how to cry out to God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are our God. And Lord, would you teach us? Would you give us understanding? Will you bring us to the realization uh, in each of our lives that your nearness is our good? That there's nothing better, no other thing, no other person that is better than your nearness oh God help us to treasure that when it seems like our world is being turned upside down and when it seems like we can't see straight and don't know how we can take the next step help us to cry out to you to the God who is near and help us to experience you in your word in the midst of our catastrophic times, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we want to close our worship service and just want to remind.